0: There is a lot going on in our church at this time, and there are a lot of people who need our prayers. We've got the Elevate Camp next weekend, so please be in prayer for the leaders and for the children as they go away. 22, I think, are going away next weekend to Letchworth Grange. Uh, Let's pray God's blessing upon them. So let's ask God's help as we turn back to his word that John read to us this evening. Father, please, as we've just sung... Show us Christ. May we see and savour the eternal glories of our glorious, wonderful King, your servant, the Lord Jesus. Thank you for him. Minister to us now in his name we pray, in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. If you were asked to give a summary of the state of our nation at this time, to so a complete outsider, what would you say was the state of our nation at this time? How would you summarize the state of the nation? What would you say? Let me give you some tips, some pointers. You're going to be asked some questions. What, you want to answer these questions. What explanations would you give in answer to the following questions? Why is our nation so divided in so many ways at this time. Not just over, I'm going to use the B word, Brexit, not just over Brexit, but also divided socially, divided economically, divided politically, (coughs) divided racially, divided culturally, divided over what, what one considers right and one considers wrong, over sexual ethics... Why is our nation so divided and so split in so many ways at this time? What explanation would you give? Why are the violent crime rates increasing at such an alarming rate? It was tragic to read or hear on the news just this week about a 15-year-old boy in round green who was stabbed 20 times at 2 o'clock in the morning. 15-year-old boy stabbed 20 times in Luton, in Round Green. How would you explain that? Do you know why there is so much injustice at this time? How would you explain the situation of why the poor and the vulnerable and the mar- are marginalized and virtually abandoned in our society today? Let me ask the question, would you say that our nation is getting better or worse? Is it getting darker or lighter? It has to be said, doesn't it, that in many, many ways, it is a dark place and getting darker. Do you know why? Here's the Bible's answer to that question. It comes down to the fatal choices that we have all made. Paul gives the answer in Romans chapter 1. I'm setting this as a backdrop for, for, the, for the passage that we're going to consider in a moment. In Romans 1, we are told, Romans 1.18, that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Paul goes on to say, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but in that their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their heart to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. The state of our nation is down to the fact that we have chosen idols over the living God. We have exchanged the worship and gratitude and adoration of the the God who made us and we've exchanged him for a lie and we've begun to worship and serve created things rather than the creator and God in his righteous justice has given us over to the consequences of the fatal choices we have made. It is to that the darkest of human problems and the Lord's solution that the prophet Isaiah speaks to in our passage this evening. In the passage that John read to us, if you have your Bibles, please turn back there. We're going to look at from 41.21 right towards the end of 42.17. We are told three things. This is the summary. Through Isaiah, the Lord exposes the worthlessness of our idolatry. Secondly, he reveals the work of his servant for us. And thirdly, he invites the whole world to sing a new song to the Lord. He exposes the worthlessness of our idolatry. I don't know whether you've seen the program. It's a documentary, 24 Hours in Police Custody. Anybody seen that? 24 hours in police custody. Thank you, Claire. For... Thank you, Amanda. Thank you. It's, it's worth watching. Uh, if you're... Very interesting. They, 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 tr- they follow you know, a crime that's been committed and then and they, they arrest someone and, and it's nine <coughs> times out of ten during the interview the accused sits there with his solicitor and um, they're asked question number one. Answer... No comment. Question number two, no comment. It goes on for about an hour. They they, they, they you know shorten it in the programme. See, so I'm got to sit all through that. But it's basically no comment, no comment, no comment. That's what you see here in Isaiah 41, 20 to twenty-one through twenty-nine. When challenged by the Lord, because that's the the setting in Isaiah forty-one. is is the Lord summoning the whole world and summoning the gods of the whole world, the idols of the nations, and and summoning them to present your case, says the Lord, set forth your arguments. And I appreciate the way that John read it because there was a touch of sarcasm in the way that John read it because there is a touch of sarcasm in the way the Lord deals with these people, these idols. It's echo of of the contest on Carmel that Elijah set up. To say the Lord, the, the God who answers by fire, he is the Lord. If, if Baal is the Lord, follow him. If, the Lord, if God is the Lord, follow him. If the Lord is God, follow him. And it is this no comment, this deafening silence, that God is ridiculing the idols that we have chosen. This is God being sarcastic towards the idols that we have set our hearts on. We see here how he points out to us that our idols are totally ignorant. Verse 22, tell us you idols what is going to happen. Tell us what the former things were or that we may consider them and know their final outcome or declare to us the things to come. Tell us what the future holds so that we may know you are gods. No comment. Our idols are completely impotent. Verse 23b, do something, whether good or bad, so that we may be dismayed and filled with fear. Do something. No comment. Then he summarizes, doesn't he? It's quite an indictment. But you are less than nothing, and your works are utterly worthless. But here's the sting in the tail. Whoever chooses you is detestable. Whoever chooses you as their God is detestable. It's not only our idols are worthless, but when we become idol worshippers, God God defines us as detestable. That's quite a stunning indictment, isn't it? An idol, you see... He's anything or anyone that we look to, trust in, give to give us what only God can. So in one sense, idols are nothing. That's the point that he's making. Idols are nothing. They're ignorant, they're impotent, they're powerless, they're nothing. But the effect they have upon us, it makes us like our idols. One of the things that runs through the Bible is you become like the object you worship. You become more and more like the object that your heart has set itself on as the object and desire of your worship. That's why we become detestable. Psalm 115, 1 through 8 reads like this Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Here's the question Why do the nations say, Where is their God? The nations would say, here's our God. Look, he's propped up on the sideboard. Oh, look, he's a bit wobbly. So we'll put some blue tack under him to hold him steady. There's our God. We can see our God. That's our God. Where's your God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. Eyes, but cannot see. They have ears, but cannot hear, noses, but cannot smell. They have hands, but cannot feel, feet, but cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. And into the backdrop, into the darkness and futility of our idol worship, the Lord speaks. He speaks to Isaiah's original hearers regarding the future. He speaks about the immediate future, short-term future, and he speaks about long-term future. And we can look back on this prophecy here that I'm going to mention to you in a moment and go, you know what? That happened. That, what exactly God said, happened. What does he say? Verse 25. I have stirred up one from the north... And he comes, one from the rising sun who calls on my name. He treads on rulers as if they were mortar, as if they were a potter treading the clay. The prophecy here in 41.25 is regarding Cyrus. Cyrus was the king of the medo persian Empire. And this prophecy is announced... 150 years before the event. Now we know he's talking about Cyrus because in chapter 45, is it 44, 45, in chapter 45, chapter 45 verse 1, this is what the Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of, to subdue nations before him and strip kings of their armour, to open doors before him so that gates will not be shut. Cyrus is named 150 years before what God said is going to happen through him happens. What's going to happen? What is going to happen, we're in in the middle section of the prophecy of Isaiah. At the end of chapter 39, Hezekiah, as you remember, failed the faith test of being buddying up with the Babylonians. The Babylonians came and... They had a lovely get-together after a get-well party for Isaiah. He didn't consult the Lord, and the prophet Isaiah said, To Babylon you have chosen, to Babylon you will go. And the people of Israel, after, not after Hezekiah's reign, but after some of the subsequent kings, went exactly into Babylonian captivity. And they spent 70 years in Babylonian captivity. How did they get back? How did the remnant of the exiles get back to Jerusalem? Through Cyrus, 150 years before the end of the Babylonian captivity that hadn't even started, Cyrus is raised up by the Lord to bring God's people back. You can read about that in 2 Chronicles chapter 36, 22 through 33. Notice what he says, verse 26. Who told of this from the beginning so that we could know, or beforehand so that we could say he was right. No one told of this. No one foretold it. No one heard any words from you. I was the first to tell Zion, look, here they are. I gave to Jerusalem a messenger of good news. The point the Lord is making here, through Isaiah, is this. Choosing to trust your idols is choosing to die. However, choosing to trust the Lord of heaven and earth, who says what he means and does what he says, is choosing life. Because Cyrus, whom the Lord raised up, 150 years after this prophecy, did exactly what God said he would. And he points us to the ultimate servant, which Isaiah goes on to speak about, the work of the Lord's servant for us. This breaks into two sections. In verses 1 through 4, we have the Lord speaking to us about his servant. And in 5 through 9, we have the Lord speaking to his servant in our hearing. And both of those are significant. So against this dark backdrop of our idolatry, our willful, deliberate choice of idols substitute God's. Which the Lord finds utterly detestable, we are introduced to his servant, whom he finds utterly delightful. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. We're told what he will do. We're told three times over he will bring justice to the nations. Verse 1. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. Verse 4, he will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. The word that Isaiah uses here for justice isn't just a legal outcome at the end of a court case. The word that he uses here for justice means the restoration of human life as God designed it to be. That's what we all long for, don't we? That's what we were all made for. It's the echo in every human heart. It's the memory trace of paradise lost. He will bring justice. And it's that that we long for, don't we? Why do we get upset when there is injustice? Why do we weep when a 15-year-old boy is stabbed in, in, in a town very close to us? Why does it break our hearts? Because we know, deep down, that's now life is, not meant, life is not meant to be like that. It's meant to be a safe place to live. It's meant to be a safe place where we can raise our family and raise our kids. And life can be what it should be. It's what we all long for. And here, the, the servant, we are told, he will bring justice to the nations. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. You see, injustice is never just a political or social dysfunction. Despite what the politicians will tell you, despite what our future Prime Minister, whoever he is, tells you, injustice is never just a political or social dysfunction. It is at root a spiritual evil. And it is the root cause of our idolatry. That's why our nation is getting worse and worse. But the work of the servant is to bring forth justice. You see, he's told us here, there is no hope outside of the Lord's servant. In his teaching, the islands will accomplish, that will put their hope. We're also told how he will accomplish his mission. In gentleness and faithfulness and steely determination. Look at verse 2, 42, 2 He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. How do we know, here's a question for you, how do we know that 42, 1 through 42, sit for is talking about Jesus. How do we know? Do you know how we know? Jesus said so. In Matthew chapter 12, 15 through 21, these verses are quoted. Jesus is going about his mission on earth of healing people. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. A large crowd followed him and he healed all who were ill. He warned them not to tell others about him. This was to fulfill what was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through through to victory. In his name the nations will put their hope we know that this is a prophecy concerning jesus so what happened with cyrus was bang on the money 150 years beforehand what's happening what happened with jesus and what is happening with jesus 750 years after this prophecy has happened and is happening He's the one in whom God delights. He's the one who heals our broken lives. He's the one who accomplishes that by bearing the punishment for our sins in himself. He, who gets punished for our idolatry if we put our trust in Jesus? Jesus does. Jesus becomes detestable on the cross. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The one who will ultimately restore the cosmos and all human life to how it was meant to be is the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lovely phrase that I keep going back to again and again and again. In Matthew 20, in Matthew nineteen twenty eight, Jesus says, at the renewal of all things. I love that. At the renewal of all things when I make everything new and I restore everything the way it should be, the way life is meant to be, as God created it, as God designed it, I'm going to renew all that. By the way, sidebar, do you know what regeneration is? Do you know what new birth is? New birth is the renewing power that Jesus will exercise to renew the cosmos coming into space-time history in your life right here, right now. He renews you now through, the re- through renewal. That's the same word that, t- that Paul used in Titus. The renewal of all things begins now in you. And ultimately it will happen at the end of time when he renews the entire cosmos. At the renewal of all things. This is the work of my servant, says the Lord. He will bring forth justice. He will make everything new. So we hear the Lord speaking to us about the work of his servant. Secondly, in verses 5 through 9, we hear the Lord speaking to his servant about his work, but we overhear that conversation, verses 5 through 9. This is what the Lord says, the creator of the heavens who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk in it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. So we're we're hearing God the Father speak to God the Son. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open the eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord... That is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. That's good news. That is really good news that he will not yield his glory to another. See, the former things have taken place, and the new things I declare before they spring into being, I announce them to you. Do you wonder why? Do you ever wonder why we are given the privilege of overhearing God the Father? Speak to God the Son about his mission. I remember meetings at work when the bosses used to go in and behind closed doors have a secret meeting. And I was desperate to know what they were talking about. But it was none of my business. <laughs> I was none of my business. So the rumors started going about, we'd invent stories about what they were talking about. It was none of our business. But here we are told, we are brought in on the Lord's business. We are overhearing the conversation between God the Father and God the Son about God the Son's mission on earth as the Lord's servant. Why? Why does the Lord share that? Why are we allowed to overhear this conversation, this commission of the Lord's servant? Let me ask you some questions. Do you ever feel as a Christian, that you're an utter failure? (laughs) Do you ever feel ashamed that you've let the Lord down again? (laughs) Do you ever feel trapped and shut into the dungeons of your addictions that you've trapped yourself in? That you can't get out of this habit? You can't break the habit The default setting is this habitual behavior and you want to be free of it and you can't break out of it and you feel utterly rubbish. We are allowed and privileged to overhear God the Father speaking to God the Son about God the Son's mission because God wants you to know that his very reputation, his name, his glory, his honour, his hallowed be thy name, honour, stands on Jesus finishing the work he's given him to do. That work of setting you free. That's what he says. I will make you, I the Lord have called you in righteousness, I will take hold of your hand, I will keep you and make you free be a covenant for the people and a light for the gentiles to open the eyes that are blind to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness here's how i know it's going to happen jesus will do what he has been commissioned to do because verse 8 i am the lord that is my name I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. I will get all of my people out of captivity. I will set all of them free from all of their sins and all of their habits and all of their hang-ups and all of their hurts forever because my name is wrapped up in this. My glory is wrapped up in this. That's why Jesus will do what he's covenanted to do for you, in you, through you, for God's glory. And the Lord is telling us here I kept my word precisely regarding Cyrus and I am keeping my covenant commitments to the nations through my servant Jesus. So I invite you all to sing a new song. Because that's what's happening, verse 10 through 17. The the whole world is invited to sing to the Lord a new song. From the ends of the earth, you who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you islands and all who live in them, Let the wilderness and its towns raise their voices. Let the settlements where Kedar lives rejoice. Let the people of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from the mountaintops. Let them give glory to the Lord and proclaim his praise in the islands. Can you imagine what planet Earth would look like when that happens? (laughs) Our worship of idols, you see, robs us of our humanity. We become more and more like the idol we worship. And it robs us of our humanity and it breeds division and hatred and suspicion and leads to war and death. That's where idol worship takes the nations. That's where idol worship take, is taking this nation. And only the work of God's servant will set us free to sing to the Lord a new song. That brings peace and reconciliation with the Lord and between ourselves. I wonder Paul writes in Ephesians 2, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one by and destroyed the barrier, the dividing ward of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. What was his purpose? His purpose was to create in himself one humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility, he came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. No wonder we're invited to sing. No idol can do that. You can't do that. You can't make that happen. Only the Lord's servant can. And look how determined, as we draw to conclusion, how determined the Lord is to put a new song in our heart there's two pictures here that he gives like a warrior like a woman like a warrior he says for a long time now in verse 13 the lord will march out like a champion like a warrior he will stir up his zeal with a shout he will raise the battle cry and will triumph over his enemies that's a picture a lovely picture a prophetic speak picture of the cry the battle cry of jesus on the cross it is finished! Is a glorious battle cry, triumphing over sin and death and hell and judgment forever. But he's also pictured like a woman. Verse 14, For a long time I have kept silent. I have been quiet and held myself back. But now, like a woman in childbirth, I cry out, I gasp, I pant. A lovely picture of Jesus by his blood, giving birth to the church by the Spirit. This is the utter determination the Lord has. He exposes, does he not, the worthlessness of our idol worship. He reveals wonderfully the work of the Lord's servant for us. We hear God speaking to us about his servant, and we hear God speaking to his servant about his work for us. No wonder he invites us and the whole world to sing a new song to the Lord. Has the Lord put a new song in your heart? Let's pray. Our Father and God and King, we worship and praise you for exposing the futility and the awfulness of our idol worship. This nation has no hope outside of the servant of the Lord. And help us as a church, Heavenly Father, in these days to sing this new song, but also to proclaim the joy and freedom and wonder that we have in Christ. No wonder Paul writes to the Thessalonians and says, they tell us how you turn from idols to serve the living and true God. Help us to be totally satisfied in you, Father. Help us to sing this song that you've put in our hearts well. And help us to share the wonders and glories of your servant with those who like us were and they are still are and as we once were trapped in the dungeon of idolatry use us in some small way to bring glory and praise to your name as we live for jesus and proclaim his praise in the islands help us to, to sing well the new song that you've put in our hearts lord for jesus sake amen, amen. there is a new song in my heart. Please stand as you're able.